And today we have a special treat for you. A man who's here to share, inspire, and motivate us, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. I feel like I'm at the Academy Awards with Elizabeth here. The, I'm underdressed. I walked in and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> oh. Yeah, beauty and joy. All right. Oh, golly, I, I, I just am so overwhelmed with such appreciation and love when, when Brian's uh, able to be, come back and we can celebrate him. He has been such an inspiration in my own life, and uh, to be able to stand here and sing Come With Him is, to me, it's just, there are times, it's, it's just, okay, pull it together here, buddy. All right. So um, I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me, and also I'll, we'll, uh, I will <clears throat> share a prayer with, with you. If you'd like to stand and do that, please, please feel free. If not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all those. And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room I recognize that one life and speaking in the I am for each person here, what I know and honor and respect and love and adore and stand in awe of is that one life that animates my life. And as I stand in this moment, in this repose of stillness, in the awareness of life and that which animates this body that I inhabit, my spirit is filled with overflowing, with gratitude and appreciation and celebration of this perfect moment. This is the eternal moment, and I say yes. This is the eternal moment I surrender to and know that there's something within me that has the awareness and the wisdom and the answers that guide and instruct me, and my opportunity is to be open enough to receive. I know that as I stretch my arms out to receive something in a new way, my body posture is altered, that my muscles change and are transformed, which represents my consciousness being changed and transformed in this moment. So whatever there is for me to know, knowing this for each person here, whatever there is for me to know, I stand ready, willing, and able to receive that information, to process that, to bring to light that which is no longer important for me to carry. 
and to make way for the new, for the new thought, for the new idea, for the new experience, so that you and I stand together in a pristine awareness of the possibility and the potential and the opportunity that each eternal moment represents for you and I. And so in that I just give thanks and gratitude and appreciation for all the blessings, for all of life that has shaped and brought me to this moment of awareness, to this transformation, to this, this bringing to my knees spiritually and emotionally and physically so that I may be born again and renewed and resurrected. And so I give thanks this day for that opportunity to be part of that and understand that something deep and profound is having its way by means of me. And I stand in faith of that idea. And for this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. What an amazing, amazing weekend uh, it has been. I've been talking uh, the last uh, couple of, of Sundays around this idea of callings, answering the call. And, and the calling is something that, as Dr. Holmes uh, expressed so beautifully in his teaching, is that in, in, in all teachings, you know, we're teaching of oneness, that, that we're all connected. And we, we have those intuitive hits. We have those moments where we, we, we do connect. And, and it becomes a realization, it becomes real in our lives. Woody Allen used to say that once we've mastered oneness, we go to two-ness. I know what you're telling me, and I'm going to do that right now. You're so sweet. I love you. I'm being coached because I'm, I forgot something. But I'll weave it all together. These lovely angels of God's presence. That's why I was like, hmm, where am I? There's something I'm supposed to be doing, but I know it's, I'm supposed to be up here doing it. What is it? Yeah, I know it's here at the bottom somewhere. Right-hand side, bottom? Left-hand side, bottom. Got it. Thank you. See, they even know where the note is. <laughs> what I wanted to do, and, and I thank those that have stayed for the second service as well, is I want to recognize we are a teaching center. What I know about our teaching, what I know about for you, and I, for, well, I can only speak from my experience, but if I don't change something in my life, if I don't bring a new idea to something that I, w I find uh, uh, unacceptable in my experience, nothing changes. I mean, that's true of anything, isn't it? You know, if we want better health, then we do things that support us in better health. We look at you know, our nutrition and our level of exercise and, our, and, our, and the way that we, we interact with ourselves physically. You know, if we want to uh, become more proficient in a certain area, then we find the teachers and the mentors in our lives to become more proficient and more able in those areas. And so we are a teaching center. The Sunday is a wonderful day. I mean, today I, I just, you know, what a beautiful opportunity to come together with you to go through the process each week for me to prepare my consciousness and awareness so that I can provide something of value so I can get all my own biases out of the way so that something perhaps more profound and interesting and, and impactful can, we can share. And you help inform that, whether you know it or not. And so we are a teaching center, and, and I want to recognize a, a group of people. It's, a, it's phenomenal the amount of people and their dedication to our teaching and our, to our movement because it's unique and it's rare. And it takes a, a, a certain level of, of, co of commitment and willingness to continue to stay the course and do the work that we're called to do. And I honor that. I honor the legacy, the people that I, whose, whose shoulders I stand upon, and whether you know it or not, that you're impacted by. 
So what I want to do is take a moment. I'm going to invite the instructors and the teaching assistants, if they're in attendance here this morning, to please stand. And then I'm going to invite anyone that was in class last year. We had over 125, 40 students in, in classes last year, which for a community this size is phenomenal. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite the instructors, Reverend Tammy Banting, Reverend Connie Phelps, Reverend Connie Nissen, Reverend Catherine McLeod, and Carmian Owen. And Carmian is down with our tweens right now. Reverend Connie Phelps is in Saskatoon attending a, a memorial service, but she's with us in spirit. I would like to invite those, these people I've just mentioned to please stand and be recognized. Thank you so much. And, and please stay standing. I want to, uh, and I'm going to sneeze in a moment, so excuse me. Uh, I would like to uh, also acknowledge uh, the teaching assistants, um, Practitioner Barb Gobert, Practitioner Arnie Poulsen, Terry Triska, Practitioner Sue Edwards, Practitioner Sandra Gibbs, Practitioner Gary Buckingham, Practitioner York Becker, Practitioner Bernadette Engel, Practitioner Suze Hodge, Practitioner Laura Cameron, and Practitioner Karen Yance. If you're here, would you please stand as well so we can love you up with applause. And now I'd like anyone that took, was in part of a class this past year, if you would stand and be acknowledged as well. Thank you. Thank you for your support, your commitment, and your support to your consciousness. What I want to do right now, it's a very exciting thing. I'm going to ask someone that was in one of my classes, actually in the Prosperity Plus class, and I'm going to invite Barb to come on up and share with her, because Barb had a very interesting demonstration, and I think we want to celebrate that. So Barb, come on up. I'm going to give Barb a mic. I mean, just to use, not to take home. But you know, you understand what it. You might have to stand there. No, you can stand right there. Go, go for it. Hi. <laughs> okay, so yesterday I went and I won a Ford F-150. It's all good. <laughs> I, I, I thought, oh my God, this is so wonderful. So I'm going to take all the teachings that I've learned at the center and I'm going to implement them. So I took a picture of my, the, I took a uh, Ford F-150 for a test drive, took a picture of the Ford F-150, put it on my phone, wrote a vision statement that I was taught to do in Carmian's class, Foundations. I <laughs> visualized driving my new vehicle, my new F-150. I <laughs> you name it, I did it. And so when the time came, when they called my name to go up and test the car, I put my key in. I, never once did I waver in my faith or, or my belief. And I put the car, <laughs> the key in, and at first it didn't click. And I was like, no way. We had a deal. <laughs> But I, I also, if it wasn't for the center teaching me how to do this, <laughs> I don't know if I would have been able to awesome. follow through. But awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh. Thank you. So Barb's going to give everybody a ride right around the block afterwards. <laughs> we'll line up here. Well. You know, it's just, it was so much fun to hear that, to just celebrate it, because, um, 
if we don't create the space to receive something, if we, don't, if we don't do the work to shift something, as I said, when I want a, a different experience in my life, if I don't do the work, and so what I would say to you, if you find yourself reflecting on what Barb shared and you're saying, well, and, and, and it might be a lie for you, but it could be very easy for you to say, well, why her and not me? And, when I th- and I'll tell you what, what that is a, a, just a symptom of. If that's a lie for you, it's, it's called envy. And what envy does is it pushes it farther away. So what's m- much more powerful is to say, that's for me. Yeah. yeah. That's for me. So thank you, Barb. You know, when I, was a, when I was a young actor in Hollywood and I was in a class and there was a guy, a young guy there with me and I did a play with him for about a year which kind of helped me get launched with, uh, by the name of Patrick Swayze. And so when Patrick would come in and he was always doing stuff and, I, and for a while I was like, why him and not me? And then I realized as I was doing this work in, this, in the consciousness work, I said, you know, my teacher at the time said, you're pushing it away. So every time he comes in and shares his, uh, a, a win, a, 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 a success, begins saying, that's for me. And that's what I started doing. So it's just a subtlety about how we shift our energy. But it, it's so profound because if, it, there's no private good. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just it, it's opening to those opportunities. And I watched Barb through our Prosperity Plus class as well do work to principles and come in and talk about her vision and how her life was. Because she's had challenges in her life that she shared with us in the, in the group. But we've all had challenges in our lives. And so in, ter- in terms of getting back to what Greg Lavoie calls callings, and I think it's such a powerful book, uh, the chapter that I was looking at for this, uh, sharing with you this week was called Braving Conflict. And at the beginning of that chapter, he tells a story about a, a minister by the name of William Went, who was an Episcopalian minister in 1974 or 75 in Washington, D.C. And what happened with Went was um, he started to do, in his own spiritual practice, he realized that there was something that was incongruent. There was, a, there, was thing, there was structures in place that weren't working anymore. And so what he did one Sunday uh, as a member of the Episcopalian faith was he invited a ordained woman priest to come up and, and say mass with him on the platform. She had been ordained by an, um, a, a radical priest within the movement. So it was none of the, none of the established hierarchy was in support of it. So he did that, and word got to the powers that be, and they said, you can't do this. There, you know, you, there, their argument was, look, there were 12 apostles, and none of them were women, so stop it. But what he realized is that what we, he was called to in his heart was something different, a, a more interesting and a more powerful idea. And, and see, I think this is the way spirit works in our lives, because we have establishments, we have our hierarchies, and um, um, Peter Russell does an amazing peace on hierarchies because most of us don't like hierarchies and yet when we understand the two different one is dominance hierarchy and the other one is is motivated within our, in the spiritual capacity they're two different entities but but one is very very necessary and the other one is just you know the reflection of needing to control but what one of the things that came to William went when he was going through this because he started to contemplate when he was silenced and he was censured and he was taken off his out of his position um, and what he said, though, and it was inspired by Martin Luther King during the Civil Rights Movement, and he said he was willing to accept the penalties in order to arouse the consciousness of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. So there's man-made laws and there's spirit laws. And when we get them in our hearts, and this is what Martin Luther King stood for, Martin Luther King Jr., his banners in the back there, 
but he never wavered because he understood that there, was, there were things happening. There were, it was no longer appropriate that people, you know, uh, one of the things I love about the co-creation that we went through with the uh, practitioners over the weekend, one of the things Marcia Sutton, and this is Marcia's work that is brought, was brought to us by her successor, Reverend Penny Masick, and Penny was at our first service. But one of the things that um, you do is you color. Neuro-linguistically, you, you, neuro-linguistically easy for you to say, um, we color in, we do the work, we fill it in, and then there's places to color. And what it does is it helps enhance the learning experience. And one of the things that Lloyd Strom, who put the, the work together with Marsha, they continued to put this work together, is that they picked for the body, the form, the color pink. And one of the reasons that it, they picked pink is because despite the skin color on the outside, everyone's tongue is pink. Is it not? And I think there's just such powerful significance there because the way we activate the law in our lives, the way we help shift and change the law is through our, our word, the power of the word. In the beginning was the word. And so I think it's so, so appropriate. But it brings us back to the shift and change in consciousness and, and this idea that we are all one, that, that it's, you know, the, the, this idea that because you're a woman or you're a person of color or you're a person that, you know, this whole thing, um, I read online last night an article about uh, an official in the United States that was critical of gay marriage and, and the response, and it was brilliant. It was a, I read it to Laura when I got home, I said, look at this, and it was just a brilliant response around this. But those ideas exist. Those ideas exist in the world. And, it's the, and, and so with this, with William Wendt, he went through this experience. He knew that in order to arouse the consciousness of the community over its injustice, he was, he was addressing a higher law. It said that, it, that over time, I'll read you the conclusion of the story. The church, however, didn't agree with him. Over the next several weeks, with lawyers on both sides quoting from the Bible, William Wendt stood trial for insubordination. He was eventually found guilty and censured and lost again on appeal. By that time, however, publicity had begun to turn the tide in his favor, and two years after his original trial, at the great general convention of the Episcopal Church, the very same bishops relented in favor of rising opposition and probably the dictates of public relations and granted women access to the altar. So today, as a result of his efforts, as, as, as him, him taking a stand, a third of the Episcopal clergy is female. And although he no longer works at his old parish, St. Stephen's, fittingly the church's first martyr, the new priest there is a priestess. And because of him, the Episcopal Church now has what is called the rule of conscience, which states the conscience is acceptable grounds on which a priest can make a decision. But this is how consciousness shifts and changes the world. And as someone in deep relationship, Dr. Holmes said, with deep calls unto deep, deep answers. And so do you and do I have, have relationships established in our own prayer chair, in our own relationship with spirit that allow that communication to take place? And, and that's, I believe, where, where, where our, we answer our calls. He, William Went answered a call. And what are we being called to ourselves? But without, as I said, without having practices in our lives that make that conversation available, we don't hear anything. Part of one of the things that was so powerful with the co-creation that I just adore and love, the work that Marsha Sutton and Lloyd Strom have put together in this co-creation, our sacred healing circles is a piece of that, is, idea, is, is the idea that all of us live from, for the most part, if you look out in the world, we live from our small self. Most people, it's, 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 we live from self-interest. Most people do, uh, do self-interest really well. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, but if you look at the, the mystics and the great teachers that have come down through the ages, 
the, um, the opportunity is, is there's something more interesting that, that wants to happen, I believe. And I believe all of us are here because we, we've done, many of us have done religion. Anybody here ever been involved with a religion? But, but eventually we realize that we need to de- dive deep into our own spiritual nature and, and spirituality. And we are a community that calls itself the Center for Spiritual Living. I mean, that's a very great... We don't have people calling us anymore. When we were the Center for Spiritual Awareness, people would call and say, are you guys Scientology? We'd spend, you know, a half hour on the phone telling them what we weren't. We don't get those calls anymore. We just shifted one word, and all of a sudden, we're not, we're not any longer in uh, answering that question. We answer other questions now. But for all of us, and part of that, when I, I don't want to lose this idea around Lloyd and Marsh's work, the co-creation, because it's going to be the core of what I speak to today. Because what it is, it's about what's stirring within us and what is alive within us that's incongruent. What's so, what is so supportive of the small self that we all live from, because that's what the world tells us to do. And all of a sudden, we, we, we shift that in a way that we step into our true self. See, we are all, we are all perfect, we are fully orbed in terms of our spirituality. We have, we have, been, we have been given the, the gift of an uh, indomitable perfection of spirit and grace. But what happens as we go along our journey in life, we have things that we have experiences in life with people, with situations, with organizations, and they help start to shape what we think about ourselves, how we believe we are in the world. And, and what it feels like at times is those parts of us are parts of us we don't want to look at because they're the, those small self, what small self will say to you is you're not enough. You're broken. You're not good enough. You're not supported. Um, whatever else is alive for you. That's, what, that's the language of the small self. That's the language of the critical parent that lives inside of everyone. And what co-creation does is takes you back in memories and asks you to identify what's alive for you, and it's very spirit-driven. Because what, what Marcia has trained people to do, and I'm going through the training right now, and I, it's some of the most amazing work I've ever done in my life. But what it is is that when you facilitate a co-creation, and I said this to Reverend Penny. She was here at the early service. I didn't, I didn't want to embarrass her. But I said to her, well, on Friday, what would you like to do? She said, I will be preparing all day. Because, you know, you want to be a gracious host. You want to go see the West Edmonton Mall, or I can take you out to the... To, to, we got an ocean, you know, because once I knew she wasn't going to go, I started making stuff up. <laughs> and she said... Uh, I didn't tell her that. But um, she said, no, I'm, I'm going to be in my room preparing. And, it's, and it's, so what it is is that doing enough prayer work to, to get oneself... to cleanse oneself so that there's a presence that conducts the... Uh, that helps hold the space. And so what it does is it identifies those small self ideas for all of us, and they're individual for all of us. They're all alive in everyone. And I'm going to share a little personal story with you. I've got three more minutes. I better talk really fast. Anyway, um, um, uh, there's, there's enough time, and I know that. Um, but what it was was that, that you, you identify, you, you call up, you ask for the guidance in calling something up that's alive for you. Leonard, Leonard, Leonard Cohen, in his important song, Anthem, said, there's a line in it that says, there's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. There's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. So when we, we call this up, it is, it is in our woundedness, and it is in that small self that is such an important vehicle to bring us into the awareness of the true self. 
And the story yesterday, so we're working with things, and the story that came up for me, because everyone has their story, and we didn't share, but I shared it at the first service, so I'll share it here. But when I was uh, six years old, it was my sixth birthday, and I was in grade two. And um, it was the day when, on your birthday, we could bring a treat for everybody. So my dad had a store. He had a little grocery store. And I went, and, and our, our practice was we would go with him, and he would kind of get opened up and ready for the day, and then he would drive us, or my mom would drive us. And on this particular day, I said, Dad, I, I, you know, I want to bring a treat for everybody. And there were 32 students in my, in my grade two class. And so he throws a bag of suckers at me. You know those really thin little suckers with the little sticks on them? You know, they're very big, and they're gone. And if you chew them, they're gone in 30 seconds. But he throws a bag of suckers at me, and I think there was 20 in the bag. And, you know, I, I'm six, I can count. I said, Dad, these, these aren't enough suckers. And, and he kind of walked away, looked at me, walked away, and I said, can I get one more bag? And he said, no. So, you know, I'm six, I'm trying to figure out how do I manage this lack of supply, you know, because And if I thought about Jesus and the fishes and the loaves, maybe I'd have gone there. But anyway, so I'm, I've got this bag of 18 to 20 suckers, and it's, all of a sudden it's after lunch, and the, and the good sister that was my grade two teacher said, it's okay, it's Patrick Cameron's birthday, he's going to share a treat. And I'm like, oh boy. So I rip open the bag of suckers, and I start going down the aisle, and about 10 suckers into the whole ritual, I announced to everyone in class that I don't have enough for everybody. And their response was to swarm me and start grabbing suckers. So literally, I've got, I've got another 22 uh, second graders coming at me for the last 10 suckers. And I'm just, I don't know what to do. I mean, it's like piranhas. They're just going crazy. And I start to cry. And then um, and a couple of the girls said to me, I didn't get any. And, you know, of course, my response was, well, tough. And then I started to cry more. And the nun said, sit down and shut up and quit crying. It's your birthday. What's wrong with you? So, but we've all had, we've all, so this is what comes up for me yesterday. I'm like, not the sucker story again. Come on, God. <laughs> Haven't we looked at this enough? But what it was, was for me was, so I want to talk to you about themes, because this is how this happens, and I, and I speak to it from joy and celebration, and I, I get, and I get all the blessings in it, but so, so what happens is for a six-year-old, when those things happen, is number one, you go, to the, you go to the people that you think you can count on, mom and dad, and so when they don't give you enough, you realize at a very early age, I can't count on these people. I mean, that's the message you get. You're on your own, and it's very subtle. But it's like, you know, don't count on me to back you up. I don't have your back. And, and then the other piece is, I don't have enough. I mean, I literally didn't have enough suckers. But I, right away, I take that in as part of my error of belief that I'm not enough. And I don't have enough. And I'm not good enough. And I don't deserve. And all those. And so that becomes my error of belief. And so I establish that really well. I can't trust mom and dad. I can't trust the nun. I, you know, you'd, you'd think the nun would walk over and say, that must have been tough for you not having enough sucker. She's just like, shut up and quit crying, you big baby. Thank you, sister. You know, I mean, anyway. But the point being is we've all had experiences like this. And what happens is they become our errors of belief. Not enough, not good enough, don't deserve, I'm not supported, you're on your own. And you start to live from that when you're little. And then what you start doing is you start extracting from the environment and, and, and the other experiences you've had, the same experiences in a different package, in a different way, that reinforce 
that experience. And then it becomes entrenched. And then it becomes so much a way of being, you don't even realize it. So then you come and you say, I'm going to enter this, this Ford pickup truck contest, and I'm going to put my name in. That's the ideal. And then all of a sudden, but there's a, that down within your physical body and with your emotions, there's a belief that I don't deserve. I don't deserve this. And see, what Barb did is she kept doing her spiritual practice enough so whenever, because I know it's alive in Barb because it's alive in all of us, but what Barb did through the practices of the visioning and the visualization is she found practices to shift her way of being consistently enough so that she created the paradigm of, of receiving in a bigger way. This is the law in action. We're not here, I mean, you know, for me, I celebrate everyone's good. And if it's someone wins a house or wins a car, man, good, good for you. I celebrate your good and just, I love it because it, to me it's a representation. That's for me. And I celebrate that good because Barb is an extension of me and she's an extension of all of us. But she took the practices so that that wasn't alive in her so that she could have a bigger opportunity for life. But if we don't do something to shift and change it, if we don't get into a class, if we don't sit with people that can, that can help nurture the consciousness so that we can pull it up into the, light of, uh, into the light so it can dissolve, and that's what we did yesterday in the co-creation. We sat together as a group, as a practitioner group, and said, what wants to happen here? And why, if we want the ideal, and it was beautiful, it was profound, because right away we went, well, we wanted to be in love. And then we started thinking more because we kept going deeper and deeper. And the, and the wisdom of the collective said, I don't, think, I don't think we can get to the love yet. We gotta get the wholeness first. And it was so powerful. Because we realized we wanna stretch and we wanna grow and we wanna be our best. But love is like, what is love? Love's something different for everybody. I was thinking, I'm watching Brian sing and I said, God, I love this guy. And as I was sitting there, I said, well, what does that mean? What do you mean you love Brian? And what it means for me is my heart is open when I hear him sing. I'm in heaven watching that guy. My, it opens my heart. But it, you may not have that same experience. And, and, and it's okay. You don't have to have the same experience. It doesn't diminish my experience. My truth is when I watch that guy sing and I get to stand with him and play, I'm in heaven. Oh man, I'm, my heart is wide open. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm holding back the tears through the whole song. I'm like, stop it. I'm like, stop it. Suck it up, you big crybaby. I'm back there with the, the nun in grade two. You know, she was right. Suck it up. There's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. So when we're willing to zero in on what's alive for us, and I share my sucker story with you because it's just it, there's so many layers to it. I went to bed last night. I was still floating in this experience, and everybody's processing. I asked Suze when she came in, how you doing? And she goes, I'm exhausted. I went home with Laura. She, I said, how you doing? She said, I'm exhausted. It's exhausting work. It's hard sitting in a room with people and everybody's telling the truth and everybody's stuff's coming up. Oh, oh, oh no, there I go again. But like Reverend Penny says to us, it, it takes courage to do it. It just takes courage. And then when you bring it into the light, you go, oh, I really don't think I'll need to tell my sucker story ever again. But who knows? But it, but it was such a great... So I look back at it now, and what I know is that, you know, everybody was doing the best they knew how. My dad was busy. You know, I had nine other brothers and sisters, and we all got born in October. What does it tell you about what my folks were doing in December? <laughs> you know? We'd, we'd kind of we'd round out the weeks, and we'd have one birthday cake for like four or five at a time. 
Then we'd all share the same new blouse. Or, you know, and, <laughs> well, I had seven sisters, so a lot of the hand-me-downs were very feminine looking. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just make, it toughens you up, you know? I wanted to read a couple of things. What, what spiritual pride, and what's ha- I, I, what I think is so important, and I didn't share this with uh, the first um, uh, group, because, and don't tell them if you see him. <laughs> Richard Rohr, I just love this man. He's a, he's a Franciscan priest, and he's got a book called, that I've been working with called Adam's Return. And he says in it that we, what we lack on our planet right now are spiritual masters. And spiritual master, see, Jesus was a spiritual master, and the prophet Jeremiah was a spiritual master. And what spiritual masters do is they, they, they shake us up. They take our egoic nature and they, they humble us. And they humble us in a way so that, and then what, what, what Rohr says, what's happened is that it's, then it's become the role of the, the priest or the minister to help reconstruct but the master will, will, will dissolve that small self. And so when I'm sitting with Marcia and I'm watching the dissolving of the small self, I realize she's a spiritual master on the planet. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this path because she's doing exactly what Jesus said. Jesus' first line in Mark was, time is up. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is right here. Get a new mind, believe some good news. But it's very difficult for that good news to sink in when we've got all that old stuff going on in the small self that is so potent. This is, you don't deserve that. And what, what spiritual masters will say, it's consistent with all of them. Number one, you are somehow the issue. You, me, I am the issue. I'm the issue. Number two, the answer's within you. The answer's within me. Dr. Ernest Holmes said, I don't know, but something within me does know. Let's go there. And number three, you need help from a higher power. He continues, as it takes a master to teach you that you are not that important. So let me just say, I'm not that important. But I get what he's saying. And if, if you stay with me a bit, because this is not, because most of us get here and say, God, I've been told I'm not important my whole life. I just got done saying I got to get rid of not being important. But what, what they're saying, just bear with me for another minute. Otherwise, and I think this is so true, the master will teach you that you are not that important. Otherwise, painful life situations have to dismantle you brick by brick. Decade by decade. And since we no longer accept or trust spiritual teachers, and we don't. We don't trust spiritual teachers as a culture. Since we no longer trust spiritual teachers, we are stuck almost entirely with the second and slower form of learning, which is that because we don't show up and we don't tell the truth and we don't bring it up into the light... The, the culture, the consciousness will go about dismantling us week by week, decade by decade. Because what we're living from when we live from our small self is not why we showed up. I'm going to tell you, I'm so clear. My life is not my life. My life is God's life. And I forget that sometimes. But that's my vow to myself. And I'm about the business of that. I'm about the business of transforming my own consciousness so that... that I love you too, thank you. That, that 
that that legacy and, and that, that giving birth to what wants to be given birth becomes more accessible and available. And it's healthy and it's powerful and it's humbling and it's in service to, to a bigger idea. When your life is God's life and you understand that you can't give back enough. But when we come from our self-interest, when we come from our small self, anything that inconveniences us, I don't want to do that. That means I'll have to put out more effort. That's inconvenient for me. And when I hear that, I just say, good for you, don't do more because you don't want to answer the call, and I love you anyway. My job is not to judge that. My job is, my interest, as I said, is to love you. Your happiness is my priority. And if your self-serving interest and your small self says, I ain't doing any more, I've done enough, I still love you. And if someone wants to step up, hallelujah, that's great too. See, that's the spiritual practice, to put down my expectations of someone else and to continue to love, continue to have the love, their best interest in mind, and, and to convey that. And people tell me all the time, I'm not doing more. You're asking too much. I get it. You're not listening. There's a call. There's a call, and if we listen to it, oh, my God, where do you stop giving? So to me, it's just so obvious, and yet if people don't have the ears to hear that, I can't force them. Roar continues. He said, I suspect that the basic reason that institutions, initiation, he's very much into initiation, died out is because there were not enough masters around, not enough elders that understood it and could impart it. And, and we had to settle for institutionalized priests and ministers, roles of authority instead of people of authority. Roles of authority instead of people of authority. And that's why we started to disrespect the authority. Because there wasn't the consciousness there. There weren't people willing to have the courage to stand in the fire and say, this has to go, and this has to go, and this has to go. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was a prophet, and he was a teacher. He did both. He deconstructed, and he, and he put it back together. The master teacher. And what happens is, Rohr says, is we think he's a spiritual philosopher. And he was far deeper than that and powerful. True masters, he talks about Jeremiah. The job is, he said in Jeremiah, says, your job is to take apart and demolish and then start to build, over building and planting anew. You've got to take it apart to build it anew. And that's exactly what happens in the co-creation. He says, receiving the kingdom like a little child. Powerful, powerful stuff. And then I wanna, I'm going to leave you with this because we'll get Brian back up here. But it's wonderful, powerful stuff, and you're part of this. And you're here because you're ready to hear this. And we as a community are ready to step into that, and we're doing that work. We're realizing that the way that we've done this, we want to do it in a new way so that in, in, and to give birth to something that's not only wonderful but deep and powerful. So the people walk in here, whether it's one time or a hundred times, when they walk in here, there's a vibration of the most high that people keep telling me about. When they walk in, they say, I feel like I've come home. I feel like I've come home. And so when you walk in here, just walking into that vibration of health and balance and, and clarity, there's a transformation that's available for you. That's what happens in the Eastern traditions. Roar talks about traveling India, and he said there's all these ashrams that are empty because there's not a spiritual master that can sit and hold the space. He said, he said this, and I'll leave you with this. He said, the healthiest people I know have a combination of both. It's almost over. That sounds just like me in grade two. You know what, if I had a sucker, I'd give it to him, but I'm all out. You know, I'm just amazed. Reverend Catherine McLeod's over there. She's a grandmother. That should not be happening with her within 10 feet. Oh. All right. Oh.
I'll just telepathically give this to you and then the, the little one can keep crying. But Richard, and I thank, your, I thank your wife for doing that. The healthiest people I know, Richard Rohr, have a combination of both conditional and unconditional love from their two parents. It is unhelpful myth that constant unconditional love from both parents produces strong egoic structures. Healthy people or, ne or necessary impulse control the most effective organizations, I am told, have both a good boss and a bad boss. We need the sacred no, something to butt up against, something to create limit situations for us, or we never go deep and demand the best of ourselves. Parents must love us enough to allow us to be angry with them and fight with them now and then. And organizations must have laws and someone who enforces them, or we all slip back into private self-interest. And we spin in that. And that's true for me. God clearly loves us with both left and right hands and totally demands commandments combined with pure, unearned grace. It's the love and the law. You need them both. It helps us grow up, and we are held securely inside reality. But it's deep stuff. It's deep stuff. You know, to, 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 to be able to parent well is such an art. My God, I, I just, you know, like Laura and I talk about our boys all the time, and, and you know, they, they just are just incredible young man, and they spoke at my doctorate if you were there. It was just a highlight of my life. But they, they showed up that way, to the, the God's honest truth. I mean, like she says, I did very little. But she held the space for them, and she loved them conditionally and unconditionally. And, and it's such a beautiful thing to watch. But there's, the beautiful thing about this is we have the wisdom. We stand, as Joseph Campbell, I used the quote, we stand in the, the, the trails by the heroes that went before us we can follow. We have people that can give us the ideas. We have a, a community that's alive with this, this longing for a, a more fully orbed experience of life in a way that represents what we're, we've all been called, why we have incarnated at this point in this time, and to stop waiting for somebody else because it's our, it's our opportunity. We are the ones, you are the ones that we've been waiting for. All of us, together in this, and to continue to wake up, to continue to pull up into our experience the things that no longer serve us. So this week, I would, I would invite you to, if you don't have a prayer chair, develop one. A place where you can sit and you can do your contemplation. What they know now from drug addicts, this is hard science over the last 15 years, with people that have addictions and, and alcoholism, the dopamine gets released. They take the drug, the dopamine gets released. What they released. Now what they found through that uh, curly in photography, they, they photographed the brain. They, the drug no longer has an effect after a certain period of time. But what, what, what happens is through the stimulus around the drug, they have the same experience. So they put people in rehab and then they take them back into the same environment and all of a sudden they run into their pusher. They look, they're in the same park where they took the drugs or the same home where they took the drugs. And all that stimulus releases the dopamine. It has nothing to do with the drugs. And so what I know, if it works in that condition, why don't we have a prayer chair where we sit down and we do our work, we do our inventory, we take a fear to faith sheet from, from the co-creation and we work with a practitioner and we pull it up and look at it and say, you know what, this doesn't work for me anymore. This is a limiting idea. This is an error of belief. Because that's the work to do. And it's exciting and it's powerful. And we're not in it alone. When we're doing it, there's a momentum and there's a joy and we experienced that yesterday with the practitioners. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. <sighs> So if you're thinking about a class, stop thinking, just sign up. Let's keep waking up together. It's a lot of fun, and it's exciting, and it's powerful. 
And believe me, the bright person will be around you to support you and love you into that new idea. So it is.